So I want to start today uh, with three stories. The first um, is the story of David Wilkinson and Nikki Cruz. Uh, many of you will know it. David was a church pastor who felt God call him to move to the Bronx in New York City uh, to work with some of the most violent gangs there. Nikki Cruz uh, was one of the leaders of, uh, the, of actually, I think, what was the, the largest and the most violent gang. And um, David recounts how overcoming his fears and doubts, he, uh, he starts to make some inroads with the gangs. Only one night to be uh, confronted in this frightening encounter with Nikki. And he tells how in the night, Nikki pulls out a knife and threatens him. And he says, leave me alone, or else I'll kill you. And it wasn't an idle threat, you know. Um, there had been um, there had been gang killings in the in the in the city, and um, you can imagine the fear, you know, running through David. Said, "Like, why am I doing this? Like, why on earth did I move here? Is this it, God? Is this what I came to do? Is this what it's for?" But in that moment, instead, he utters the words, some words that would change Nikki's life forever. He says, "This, you could kill me." You could cut me into a thousand pieces and every piece would shout, I love you. And that moment, those words break through years of hurt and hardening in Nikki's heart. And it leads to total transformation. He gives his life to Jesus and he spends the rest of his life reaching out to gangs to tell them about the love of Jesus. What a crazy story, hey. A couple of years ago, um, I was at an event with Open Doors. They work with the Persecuted Church. And there was a story of two young men in their 20s in India. And they were both Christians. Um, and they were both arrested for talking to people about Jesus. They were physically mistreated, thrown into prison. And, you know, I mean, can you, it's hard to even imagine it, isn't it? Just taken away from family, loved ones, thrown into prison where you're actually in more danger inside than you were out. Pretty bleak, pretty hopeless. So their family and their friends begin to try to um, engage legally to get them released. And eventually, after months and months of trying, they manage to secure the option of their release. And they go to these two young men, they get to the prison, they say, we'll have you out soon. We've done it. We're getting you out. They give them the news and the two young men reply, you must do everything you can to delay it. You've got to delay our release whatever you can. We've started talking to some of the men in here about Jesus and, and we now have a congregation of about 200 followers of Jesus. They need us. We have to stay in here. Isn't that crazy? Virginia Proden lived in uh, communist Russia where Christianity was forbidden. Through encounters with Christians, she, she finds herself at one point in church giving her life to Jesus. And as a lawyer, she then goes about defending Christians legally as best she can, despite all the threats and intimidation, and, and at one point being pushed into moving traffic. And one day in her office, her secretary calls and says, there's a man here to see you about a case. She invites the man into her office, at which point he puns, pulls out a gun and he puts it in her face. And he says, you should have listened to the threats. I'm here to kill you. I mean, can you imagine the fear, the, the thoughts that would go through your mind, you know, your children, your family that you might never see again. It was the darkest moment 
in her life. But in that moment, gun in her face, she recites the words from the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And she tells how his eyes began to soften, the gun began to lower as she continues to tell him the gospel. And she writes this, and with that, my killer walked away saved, a brother in Christ. And he goes on to enroll in seminary and we've kept in touch, she says. Isn't that crazy? Wonderful stories, just amazing, but also bizarre, like countercultural. A pastor moves towards danger and speaks of loving someone who threatens to take his life. Two innocent people plead to stay in prison. A woman loves, forgives, and builds a friendship with her assassin. They're just not normal, logical things to do. We normally move away from danger towards safety. We hold freedom as our basic right, and we put distance between us and anyone who makes us feel uncomfortable. You know, these guys are marching to a different beat. It's not normal decision-making going on. You know, they're just living out of something different. So what is going on? Well, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. And this is Jesus in his famous Sermon on the Mount. And it's really his manifesto for what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And he says this in Matthew 5:43, "You have heard it said that you've heard that it was said, "Love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I tell you, love your enemy. Love your enemies." This is a way of life in Jesus' kingdom. And it sounds a lot like David Wilkinson and Nikki Cruz. Or the next line, "Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven." It sounds a bit like Virginia Proden and her assassin. Or what about this in Matthew 10, verse seven onwards, as you go, Jesus says to his disciples, followers, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. I'm sending you out, be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils. You'll be flogged in synagogues. But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you'll be given what to say. You're gonna be imprisoned, beaten, but go on proclaiming the kingdom. Don't let that stop you. Sounds a bit like those guys in India. You know, those three stories are just really putting flesh and bones on Jesus' teaching about what it looks like to be living in and extending the kingdom of God. It's going to be countercultural, but it's going to be beautiful. In fact, I was reading the other day about Martin Luther King and you know, his radical stance of non-violence in, in the civil rights movement. And I mean, it was awful. There's pictures of them being attacked by dogs, spit upon, hit, just abused horrifically, yet not retaliating. And the author of this thesis writes this. He says, it is the contention of this thesis that the kingdom of God is the unifying concept in Martin Luther King's religious belief. And that this religious belief is in turn the foundation for King's teaching on nonviolence. The kingdom of God, the unifying concept. In all these stories, they're marching to a different beat. They're living 
in and out of a different story. They're following Jesus. They're seeking to live out his teaching about the kingdom of God. And so this is the third week in a series looking at the kingdom of God. And in the first week, John Wright talked about, you know, what is the kingdom? And he said, it's the rule and the reign of God. It's where God's will is done. So to pray your kingdom come is the same as to pray your will be done. It's the same thing. And then last week, uh, John Bodley talked about how Jesus said that the kingdom of God had come, but that it wouldn't be fully here until he returned. And so we see bits of it now and we should expect to, but we don't see everything now. And this week, I just want to show how the kingdom of God functions for us as the primary story of our lives. You see, story is hugely important for us as humans. Pete Hughes, a pastor down in London, he he writes this, the story you live in is the story you live out. The story you live in is the story you live out. Our worldview, the stories that we believe about the world, creation, the good life, what happens when we die The stories we believe shape our lives. And so, you know, if you believe that the world is an endless karmic cycle, um, you make different decisions. You know, you live in light of that. And so the caste system in India, for example, reflects that thinking, the poor of the poor, because of decisions in, in previous lives. There isn't a huge amount of room for compassion in that story. You live in light of it. But if you believe that the world is nothing more than a combination of chance and the survival of the fittest, there's nothing more than that without purpose, meaning, or goal, then you make different decisions. You know, eat, sleep, be merry, uh, make as much money as you can, seek pleasure, be happy, live in light of that story. But if you believe in a good creator who created a good world with dignity and purpose, And though the world is currently broken, he is still working towards its restoration and that he does it through us. Then, well, then you end up, I think, with pastors moving to the Bronx. And you end up with people who become best friends with their assassins. And you end up with people who's asked to stay in prison in order to make a difference. So the kingdom of God is a story. It's a worldview. It's a story the Bible is telling. It's a story that Jesus lived in and it's a story that we're invited into. I just want to look at those three things just briefly. The Bible, firstly, isn't an an encyclopedia of truth, you know, where we go to find out about this thing or that thing. It contains truth, but that's not the real purpose. Neither is it just full of moralising tales to read at bedtime, you know. Um, Like David and Goliath, actually, you get to the end of that reading with your kids, it's pretty brutal, actually. Um, It's not mainly those things. It's mainly telling a story about God and the world. And like any story, it has a beginning, has a middle, and it has an end. So in the beginning, this is God created, and it was good. No sin, no shame, no death, no pain. Everything under his good rule. A bit like um, if you've seen The Lion King, how the pride lands under Mufasa's reign are beautiful. You know, everything works as it should. The world is right. But then at the end of the Bible, we see the same again. No more tears, no more sorrow when Jesus is in charge. And it's like, again, in The Lion King, when Simba is back in charge and he's reigning as king and everything seems to be restored. The grass grows again, the land is restored, the world is right again. But the messy middle is the story of our rejection of God's reign 
to our peril. You know, think Scar in charge. Without the true king, the pride lands become barren and broken. And it's not hard to see similar realities in our own world, is it? I mean, pick any newspaper any day. Something isn't right. But the plot twist is that God has actually come already to put things right. And it happened quietly through a baby in a manger, unexpectedly through a man dying on a cross. God has begun to put right what is wrong. But from within, like Jesus says, like yeast in the dough. And he does it through those who choose to follow him, give their lives to him, who choose to march to the beat of his drum. See, the kingdom of God is the story that the Bible is telling, but it's also the story that Jesus saw himself in. It's a thing that he talks about more than anything else. He goes about proclaiming the kingdom. He says, it's here. He says, God's rule is here. And he goes about teaching about the kingdom. He says, it's like this and it's like this. and It's like a mustard seed and, and it's like dough. It's like this and it's like this. Over and over. He goes about demonstrating the kingdom. He heals the sick and he casts out demons. He forgives sin. And he says, you know, if it's by the finger of God that I do these things, then the kingdom of God has come. When God's rule comes, things are put right. Dignity is restored. Sickness is healed. In fact, the very first thing that Jesus does when he starts his ministry is he, he reads aloud an old prophecy about when this kingdom would come. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim good news. This is an old prophecy that the Jews would hold to and look forward to. And he says, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. He sort of unapologetically puts himself smack bang in the middle of the story of the kingdom. Right from the outset, there's no getting around it. The the story the Bible is telling is the kingdom story. And the story that Jesus is living in is the kingdom of God's story. But it's also the story that we are invited into, swept into. We're not just readers of it. Jesus says to his followers, go and do what I am doing. Teach people about the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons. His followers are to do what he did. And so to follow Jesus isn't just about getting a ticket to heaven. It's so much bigger than that. It's about tagging in to be part of this story, to partner with God in seeing his kingdom come, his will being done, to see the pride lands restored. And so the New Testament says of us that we're citizens of heaven, ambassadors of Christ, if we follow Jesus, ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors of this kingdom. It's our, it's our role, our MO. Um, we're to live by the vision and values of God's kingdom. Even when no one else does and it's difficult and it doesn't make sense to the world. And so over the coming weeks, we're going to look at what that means in a few more specific areas, almost like case studies. But just for now, I just want to see us to see today that God's kingdom doesn't just come independently. It's not like an invading army. It doesn't just impose itself upon us. Instead, it comes through followers of Jesus, gladly surrendering their lives to him, choosing to live his way. And over the centuries, you know, the kingdom has come on the backs of Christians who've continued to love those who persecuted them, even to death, through Christians caring for the sick, fighting injustice, loving the poor, forgiving the unforgivable, just people living in and living out this story. You know, through people like David Wilkinson and Nikki Cruz, Virginia Proden and her assassin, through 
people like those two Indian brothers through Martin Luther King and believe it or not, through you and through me. Maybe that feels overwhelming. You know, those stories at the beginning, almost so inspiring that they become demotivating, right? So I can't, I can't do that. How can I do that? I read the other day, randomly, but, uh, about this, the first bridge ever built over the Niagara River in 1847. They were trying to work out how to get um, something across this river to start building this bridge. And, and they couldn't work out how to do it for a long time. And then they came up with this idea of a kite competition, a prize for the person who could get their kite across the river. And um, it was won by this 16-year-old boy. He managed to fly it over and people on the other side got hold of the kite string that now spanned the river. And they tied it to uh, a tree and then the people on the other side attached a, um, some string to it and they began to pull it over and then they attached um, a thicker rope to that string and pulled that over and then they attached some steel cabling to that rope and they pulled that over. And eventually, over years and years, they got to the point where they had a bridge. But it began with a kite string, just a thin bit of kite string. You know, your story doesn't have to be about being cut up into a thousand pieces and every piece shouting, I love you. It could just be kite string faith, everyday faith, just living like Jesus. You know, and there's so many examples of this, but just one as to sort of, as a what if, but gentleness, for example. I'm reading a book called Gentle and Lowly at the moment, and I don't know whether you knew, but um, the only thing Jesus ever says about himself, the only time he ever says, this is what I'm like, the only time in the whole Bible is where he says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. You know, all the things that we say about Jesus, this, this, the only thing he says of himself is that I'm gentle and lowly. And it got me thinking, you know, gentleness actually crops up a lot in the Bible. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When God's in charge, there's gentleness. So what if we sowed seeds of gentleness wherever we went? How different would things be at work and at home? We just make gentleness something that becomes part of how we live. What if we advance the kingdom through gentleness? And you know, what if a gentle word creates trust and trust creates relationship and relationship creates space for conversations and sharing about Jesus? And what if that transforms someone's life? You end up with a bridge, but you started with kite string. My Lizzie, my wife Lizzie, a while ago, received an email from someone that years before um, she'd spent time talking to about Jesus. At the time, it didn't really go anywhere. It didn't feel like it, you know, did anything. Um, but then 10 years later, this girl emails to say thank you, that she'd met Jesus, that he had changed her life and that she was so grateful for those chats early on. It's just kite string faith. You see, the kingdom advances through you and through me, and it happens through everyone who begins to live in and live out 
this story in a thousand little acts, who, people who march to the beat of a different drum. He said, I just want, I want to live your way, Jesus. I want to live under your rule. And so I guess one important question just to finish, um, or question to take away, is to what extent are you familiar with this story? Because we're being told and sold and shaped by other stories all the time. Continually being shaped every day. So we have to read our Bibles every day. We need to be praying every day. We need time every day where we allow the Holy Spirit to come and shape us and form us. We have to be mindful and intentional about immersing ourselves in this story if it's going to be the story that we live out. And so if you've chosen to follow Jesus, then you are called to be part of this, wherever you are. And so you might think, you know, you're just a doctor, and you are, but you're also an ambassador of the kingdom. It comes through you. And you might think that you're just a mechanic, and you are, but you're also a representative of the kingdom. It comes through you. You might think you're just a student, and you are, but you're also a citizen of the kingdom, and it comes through you. Maybe you think you're just a hairdresser and you are, but you also carry the kingdom. It comes through you. You might think you're just going away on holiday. Hopefully, maybe. But you carry the kingdom. You think you're just meeting up with a friend, just going to the park, just driving to work, just writing an article, just parenting your children. And you are but the kingdom comes through you. Wherever you go, you carry the kingdom. You're serving the king. It's the story we live in, and it's the story we live out.